Now that yet another Super Bowl has come and gone, I want to place a fairly obvious point onto tape. It's too much. The coverage is too much. The cliches are too much. The bullshit narratives are too much. And what's really too much is how we, the media, fall for it all. The NFL created what it now regularly refers to as a, quote, larger-than-life event. So now we all have to treat it as a larger-than-life event. We spend two weeks talking about it, debating it, arguing about it, making predictions, mocking predictions, figuring gambling lines, debating gambling lines, bringing in experts and so-called experts and so-called so-called experts. Then the game is played, and it's just a game, a football, between two teams. It's definitely not larger than life. It's just hype. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of 10 books and the host of Two Writers Slinging Yang, a podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's guest is Molly Walker, a young scribe who, less than four years out of UMass, is the excellent beat writer of the New York Rangers for the New York Post. This is episode number 298. Let's sling some yang. Dad, your podcast sucks. And nobody cares about your stupid TV show. Okay, Molly, you rudely and tragically blew me off yesterday, and you had no good reason to do it, except that the Rangers made a monumental trade, trading for uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. Did I get that right? Yeah, you did. From St. Louis. Okay, I had all these areas I want to start, but this is actually a good one. You're Molly. Yeah. (laughs) You cover the Rangers for the New York Post. True. There are obviously trade rumors in the wind. How do you find out this happens? And then what do you do? Well, it's it's really difficult. The Rangers, the Rangers are a pretty tight-lipped organization, as are the New York Islanders, uh, the two teams that I've covered the most. Um, so it's definitely difficult. Uh, this story was actually broke nationally. Uh, Frank Saravalli was the first one to get it. There had been rumors that they had checked in on him, but you know, they've also been linked to a guy like Patrick Kane for years. So you never really know when. The deal is going to come to fruition um, and when it's going to be pulled trigger on. So I found out from Frank when he reported it. And then it was kind of like steadily different. It was a pretty you know, sizable trade. So one by one, pieces of it kind of just started leaking out. And then the Rangers officially announced it. So, you know, you kind of just wait for the confirmation, try to get confirmation. I'm calling agents. I'm calling, you know, any source that I have to try to get uh, official word. And that's basically how it goes. And then we got to speak to Chris Jerry, general manager and president of the Rangers, um, and then write a ton of stories. So it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a bit of a whirlwind day. Does it kill you to not get the story first? Always. I mean, that's, that's the goal. You want to be breaking news. You want to have stories that other people people don't uh, be the first to report things because it just makes you more of a go-to source for fans and they want to keep up with your writing and your reporting more so. So obviously it's, it's quite competitive in that regard. Um, so you always do kind of do a little bit of a snap. But I will say for me personally, it, it helps a little bit when it's not another Rangers beat writer and it's a national guy because some of these national guys are just like a lot more well connected. I've been on the job for this is my second full season. I've been working for three years at SMCO. I graduated college. So 
I haven't been around uh, as long as some of these other guys, so I can kind of be like, all right, it's all right if he got it. But obviously, you always want to be the one to to break the news. So I started my my real sports writing career covering baseball for Sports Illustrated, right? One thing that that gave me at a fairly young age, about your age, was I could call a GM and it mattered that it was Sports Illustrated, right? It mattered that it was, this is when the magazine was big and it mattered that it was Sports Illustrated. You writing for a very well-known newspaper, but still a, a, a New York newspaper. Nowadays, does the guy from ESPN have an advantage over breaking news over local reporters? I think it almost changes from sport to sport. I feel like the NHL and NBA in particular are very much so heavily reliant on the national guys and the national guys just seem to be the ones that get it first. The NHL is is kind of interesting. My sense is that some people, some agents, some GMs, some executives do like to give the story to the local media more often than not, just because that we're the guys, you know, on the ground every day in the trenches with them, traveling with them. You know, it's almost like on merit that, you know, we're the ones that are around. So it depends on the person, the source, I think, um, and the story, who they want to give it to. And I think it it can kind of vary. But I think that for the NHL, there are um, a decent amount of national guys that seem to be pretty well connected, especially with like the league office um, where the trades come in and things like that. So it's easier for them to get a hold of breaking news like that than it is for us who are cold calling agents and and the GM trying to get them on the phone while they're probably wrapping up the uh, (laughs) ends of the deal or whatever breaking news that it is. In NBA circles, the Knicks have a reputation as being the absolute worst franchise to deal with. They're nightmares. <laughs> MSG. I was going to say, covering the Rangers, not the same as covering the National Predators. I'm, I'm taking <laughs> a guess there. What are you working against or with or what are the obstacles? Um, I think they're, like I said, they're very tight-lipped. Chris Jury's inner circle is very small. Some might say it's just Chris Jury as his inner circle. Um, but I, you got to respect that, you know, because that's just how some general managers like to operate. And I know Lou Lamorello is one of those guys, too. There's pros and cons to it. I feel like, uh, you know, when you are able to establish a good relationship with an organization like that, they do help you out in other regards where they'll help give background and, and things like that um, off the record and whatnot. So I, it's a bit of a, a balance and a bit of a game almost you want it to be a mutually advantageous relationship but obviously our job is a little bit more different than theirs especially on the pr side you know they're they're not going to be giving you stories that paint the team in a bad light and as an independent media source it's up to us up to me to find those stories and report on it as accurately and diligently as possible. So I think it's it's a it's a balance and one that you kind of have to nurture and foster and develop relationships. And I think that's something that's pretty underrated about our industry and something that I feel like they don't necessarily teach as much as they probably should in journalism classes in college, because it's a huge part of it, building relationships and source networks and things like that. So that was something that I learned pretty pretty quickly when I started um, at the Post. All right. So of all the major sports, hockey is by far the one I'm the dumbest when it comes to <laughs> the least. Back when I was at SI, every now and then they'd be like, "Do the Edmonton Oilers scouting report," and I'd be like, "You like what? <laughs> right. is, that, is Gretzky still there? You know, like I don't know." <laughs> uh, um, I so I, I'm asking you things that probably some listeners are like, "You're an idiot." Me, not you. <laughs> um, 
what is the locker room access? So let's say you want to write about X player, Y player. How much time can you get with them? So we, let's say regular practice day, we show up, we walk in as practice is starting, watch them for an hour, hour and a half, whatever it is. And then as they're trickling off the ice, the room is open and we go into the room and practice days are better than game days. Um, and again, this is also on a case by case basis for the Rangers practice days are the best, you know, usually guys are in there, you know, just taking their equipment and stuff like that. And you can just grab anybody that you want. And obviously I personally try to stay away from the Ranger social media and like the, the, you know, cameras and stuff. So I can get my own individual stuff, which can sometimes be a challenge, but it's practice days are good on the road. It's even better. Cause it just, you know, they're not rushing out of there to go home. So some of them are just hanging around the rink and are a little bit more available game days. The Rangers do this thing where they put players' names up on the board and some of them feel like they, you know, don't have to stay around if their name's not on the board. But there are other guys that do that feel like they want to stay around too, which is always much appreciated. So we'll get a couple of guys uh, after games as well. And obviously after losses, it seems that the locker room is a little bit more empty than usual. Uh, and after really good wins, a couple more guys are lingering around because they're willing to talk about it. So it depends. And uh, the Rangers have been pretty good. The players are, are pretty uh, accessible, which is greatly appreciated. There's an old sort of cliche that of the four major sports, hockey players are easily the best to talk to. Can the whole Canadian farm way uh, all shots. Yeah. <laughs> is that is there some truth to that? 100 percent. And you're yeah. talking to someone that was a GA. So I covered all four major sports. I've been in all locker rooms with all the New York teams. And definitely hockey players are the most approachable guys that you can get really good anecdotes out of that'll have regular conversations with you. will ask you questions about yourself, which even still to this day, it always hey, really? me off guard. Hey, really? yeah, like, you want to know about me? You want to know, you want to know what my life is like, you know what I'm doing. So that's always really uh, appreciated. And I feel like being a beat writer for an NHL team, 82 game season plus playoffs, traveling as much as we do a familiar face definitely means something to these nhl players and you just feel like they talk to you a lot more easier than they do with national media um and and such so i definitely enjoy dealing with hockey players more than i do so football players <laughs> for sure i just, I just want to say i have told this story eight thousand times on this podcast but i think it's so telling i remember years ago a writer named buster only covered the new york yankees and he had broken his thumb and he was in the, he covered them every day yeah. he was in the Yankee locker room. And literally one guy even noticed and bothered yeah. to ask about his broken cast encoded thumb. Yeah. It's not, it's definitely not the norm. Can you fault athletes for it? Probably not. You know, they're not, I wouldn't be interested in my life compared to theirs, but some guys, especially the hockey guys, I feel like are a little bit more down to earth, a little bit more, open and willing to share their story especially journeyman guys who you know have worked their way to get to where they are and have a story to share and you know have adversities that they face and that they're proud of getting over it so those always make for the best stories and sometimes they just come about in regular conversations i think a huge part of being a beat writer is knowing how to work a locker room knowing when to you know have a phone out recording conversation on the record and when to put it away what questions to ask when you put it away 
and just fostering relationships, professional relationships um, that will benefit you in the future, whether it's telling stories or, you know, finding out information about the team. Wait, I just want to say, I love your saga. I love how you've rose. And this to me sums it up so perfectly. I go to your LinkedIn page, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you were young enough that you still have your sorority presidency on your LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> Which, I mean, you did preside over meetings. You did call special meetings to order and you're appointed hey, officers and committees. So it's, it's a big deal. I learned a lot as president of my sorority. Lots of people skills, lots <laughs> of work skills, you know diligent skills like i i'm proud of that that's staying on <laughs> i heard the alpha epsilon 5 formal your year was amazing oh it it it, it was it went hard it was great <laughs> wait so you went to umass you graduated in 2019 mm -hmm. you wrote for the umass student newspaper and it's fucking crazy you're covering the rangers for the new york post and i recently had this talk a guest a couple of guests ago was melissa isaacson who's who's a writer in her early 60s and we're saying how, and this is great. I'm so happy you're here for this. Mm -hmm. There are a few things better than being like young and the shit. And like, because <laughs> most journalists have that moment. Like I was your age. How are you? 25, 24, 26? 25. I was 25 covering baseball at Sports Illustrated, right? I was flying around the country. I was, like the, I was like the shit. I felt yeah. like the shit at least. I'm not saying anyone else did. Here you are. You're 25. You're covering the Rangers for the New York Post. Do you feel that? Like, do you feel that? Like, I'm kind of at this moment in my life that's kind of fucking sweet. I pinch myself all the time. When I'm getting flown to Montreal to cover a Rangers Canadian regular season game at Bell Center, the electricity of the city and the and the building and the history, the hockey history there, I pinch myself. I sometimes, you know, sit in the locker room and I'm interviewing Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider comes up. And I grew up watching Chris Kreider. You know, I, you know, I, I watched the Rangers growing up um, in Jersey. So I have those pinch me moments all the time. Like, how is this my life? Um, I'm so, so incredibly grateful. And I think that a lot of the steps that I took at UMass between writing for the Daily Collegian, the classes that I took, being the president of my sorority, I feel like all those types of, and the fact that UMass went to the national championship my senior year, I got to write for a, a national audience. I feel like I got really lucky along the way, everything that fell into line for me. I was an intern with the Post going into my senior year at UMass. So I had my foot in the door then, and I just had to make the most of my opportunity, which, you know, is a lot easier than a lot of other people have it. So I know that I'm incredibly lucky and that I am in a position that's well beyond uh, my years. And I'm reminded of that a lot <laughs> by all the other coworkers, all my coworkers and other writers that cover the team. So, um, but everybody's great and, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. All right, so it's April uh, 2019, UMass Daily Collegiate. Minutemen fall short of a national title with a 3-0 loss to Minnesota Duluth. Molly Walker, assistant sports editor and sorority president. And your lead <laughs> was, it was a long 60 minutes for the Massachusetts hockey team Saturday night. The most remarkable season in UMass history came to a staggering finish in the Key Bank Center after the now two-time defending champion Minnesota Duluth made it look easy with a 3-0 victory. From the opening minutes, the Minutemen were on their heels, frantically attempting to put together rushes that were disrupted every time. The Bulldogs were heavy, tenacious, and relentless on the puck from start to finish. UMass never truly had a grip on the game. Well, that's really good. Like, you're a college student, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Why were you even covering hockey for the human <laughs> student newspaper? Well, I, I've always loved hockey. Um, I kind of got into it when I was around eighth grade. My mom is a huge, huge Rangers fan, huge hockey fan. So I kind of just really started paying attention around eighth grade and I loved it. And then when I got to UMass freshman year, I joined the student newspaper immediately. The hockey beat is one of the more coveted beats, hockey and football and men's basketball. So I had to work my way up. I did rugby. I did field hockey. I did women's lacrosse. You know, I put in I put in my dues. And then by the time I was a junior, I remember saying to my sports editor at the time, like, there is nobody else on this staff that deserves this beat more than me, just based on my knowledge and love of hockey and all the other beats that I've covered to work up to this point. So they gave it to me, no questions asked, and it was a awesome two years uh, to cover that hockey team. It was an unbelievable turnaround by Coach Greg Carvel, and now UMass hockey is a powerhouse. And I got to say that I was there at the beginning of it. So, Molly, I feel like we're we're bearing the lead here, which is November tenth, two thousand fifteen. Coming off a tough loss last week Amer- against American International, the Massachusetts club rugby team came out strong against Middlebury College Saturday. In a in a seventy six to ten win, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, yeah, yeah, Jeff, I googled rugby for dummies before I went out there and covered that game. Like, I had, you know, I had no idea anything about rugby, anything about the team, you know, let alone the sport. So I did rugby for dummies. Went out there, and the cool thing about that that I've never gotten to do with any other sport is I stood on the sidelines. Next to the coach, slash, you know, coach is not really the word, but like coach slash player, manager, whatever it is. And I got to like talk to them during the game. That was something that will probably never happen to me ever again. But that was a pretty cool thing about rugby. Wait, first, that's cool. And two, I like how both of us professional sports writers don't actually know whether it's coach or manager. We're just kind of yeah, like, I, have, I seriously, even after watching the rugby for dummies video, I have no idea what they're actually called. I do think um, looking at your archives here from UMass, I do think there's an important point to be made here. Like there's a swimming story. There's a rugby story. There are hockey stories. There's women's basketball. There's men's basketball. There's football. And I feel like a lot of people entering this business, even in college, are very, number one, I only want to cover blank. And professionally, I'm only going to apply to jobs here. Like I only want to do here. You strike me as someone who is like, I just want to do this and I'll do whatever I need. Correct? Yeah, 100%. I think that in this business, it's so important not to be a one-trick pony. And I definitely wanted to get my hands into all of UMass's sports. And But at the same time, I also kind of had to in order to put in my time to get to the beats that I wanted, which was the hockey beat. I think that the high school phase is also stepped over a lot by people nowadays. I was very fortunate that I had a very short stint with it, and I did it in Western Massachusetts. My second semester junior year, I had an internship with a local newspaper, um, the Daily Hampshire Gazette, and I paid my dues in that internship. I took calls from coaches. I wrote box scores, the agate, went and covered high school sports, high school players, uh, which I feel like builds a lot of character for sports journalists, you know, taking your own stats, things like that. And I know that some people end up doing that for longer as they try to segue into professional or college sports. But I think that it's a, a major stepping stone for sports journalists to have that experience with high school and, and writing for a high school community and parents and, and things like that. I uh, was lucky that I was able to get that experience. But yeah, I'm definitely someone that 
was willing to cover anything that I was told to. I mean, Molly, let's discuss late spring of 2018 when Hampshire softball dropped a third straight with an 11-4 loss to Agawan. The lead being the Hampshire regional softball team dropped its third straight, falling 11-4 to Division One Agawan Wednesday afternoon. Not your most creative lead, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, but- yeah, I, I kept. I kept all those high school things very straightforward, cut, cut and dry. <laughs> when you're sitting there at the Daily Hampshire Gazette and you're yeah. covering preps, mm-hmm. are you like, this is great. I, I, I love this. This is great. Or are you like, I, I don't know. Listen, that's definitely not the more luxurious part, but I kind of knew that this was part of, part of the evolution of being a sports writer. I kind of, knew that high school sports was a chapter that most sports journalists have. So knowing that I was, I also did the internship for credit. So technically that semester I was a part-time student. I was going to the newsroom three days a week and taking just two classes on top of it. So it was kind of pros and cons. I wasn't doing that much schoolwork. I was doing a little bit more real world work and getting the necessary experience that I knew that I needed for my career in the future. Um, It also helped that I really enjoyed the people that I worked with. You know, when you're the only people in a newsroom at like 11 o'clock at night, you know, trying to bang out the paper, it helps a lot if you enjoy your company. So shout out to the Daily Hampshire Gazette Sports Department. Um, Definitely made those nights uh, pretty easy for me. Let me ask you a question, but you have to be honest. What would be a bigger moment for you as a journalist? I'm just saying hypothetically. Rangers win the Stanley Cup and you're covering it. Or Ryan Hang accumulates 11 saves on his birthday in 2018 as the <laughs> boys lacrosse team wins 10 to 3. I, you know, I just got to go with the Rangers winning the Stanley Cup. That's probably a little bit bigger. Somewhere Ryan Hang is quite upset listening to this. <laughs> um, all right. So you, you get an internship at the New York Post. And this is uh, 2018. Summer of 2018, you intern at the Post. Number one, how did you get the internship and what did you do on the internship? Oh, it was an amazing experience. I saw the listing for it and coincidentally, I mentioned it to a girl that I used to play basketball with who I ran into um, at the at the gym going to see my old basketball team play. And I had mentioned to her that I was applying for an internship at the New York Post and she was like, oh my God. My family friend, Mike Vaccaro, is like this head sports columnist there. And I was like, I know Mike Vaccaro. I've been reading Mike Vaccaro my whole life. So she set me up for a phone call with him and we had a great conversation. And he basically texted me the next day and was like, your application was moved to the top of the pile. So that's another, you know, it's all about who you know in this business. Can we pause and acknowledge that Mike Vaccaro is just one of the best people on the planet? legit there's no other way to to describe him he is an absolute gem of a human being and i totally owe the start of my career to mike vaccaro so i know he's always been in my corner so i uh was able to to secure that um pretty early on but it was that it was the kind of thing where it didn't even feel real you know like i didn't hear from them for like three or four months and in my head i'm like it's not happening Yeah, like this was way too good to be true that this isn't happening. And it wasn't until I went in to visit the newsroom and and meet my now boss that it all really felt real. Um, The internship was great. Each department at the Post has its own set of interns, some more than others, sports in particular. We had three. And it was basically like you're an extra general assignment for sports. We did a lot of, on top of the web shifts that were just like your daily 
you know, responsibilities, classic nine to five, you know, monitoring breaking news on sports. That would be, you know, a, a good headline for the post to write about. They were sending us out into the field too. I went to Giants. I went to Jets. I went to the Rangers. I went Mets, Yankees, everywhere. Got a little bit of taste of everything. And I'll never forget my executive editor told me that I was going to know after this internship if this was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life because you really are thrown into the field and and the real day to day of the beat writing job and sports reporting job. So I loved it immediately. <laughs> I loved what did you it. love about it? What did you love about it? I love being in the trenches with the teams. I love being, you know, somebody who can have a conversation with a guy and it turns into an amazing story that every that entertains people, that makes people feel something. Um, I feel like sports brings people together um, and to be able to do it on a new, like for New York of all cities was just such a crazy thought to me. So I absolutely loved it immediately. And I just, I just worked my ass off like really, really hard because I knew I, I had to make an impression. You know, I tried to pitch things. I tried to write outside of the box. I tried to give them something a little bit different to set myself apart from the rest of the interns. They worked out, I guess. <laughs> I remember I had a, uh, my, after my junior year of college, I interned at the Nashville Tennessean and um, loved every minute of it. And everything you said is basically what my life was too. I just busted yeah. ass. All yeah. I wanted to do is get hired there. You know, like that's it. Yeah, that's it. True. Okay. I returned to Delaware. I went to Delaware for my senior year and I'm like, eh, like I, I'm kind of like, I had the taste. I tasted yeah. the really good food and now I'm eating in a dining hall again. Yeah. Was it hard for you to be sort of all in at UMass as a senior when you have this thing dangling there that you really want? It might've been had UMass Hockey not had the season that they did. Yeah, um, it, it was like a storybook season and the Globe, the Herald, all the major Boston media outlets, nobody was there. Everybody looked at UMass like a fluke. So it was just us student reporters every day. And by the time it got, you know, they were starting to get national attention. We were the only ones that were there. We were the only ones on the ground and the only ones with stories for people to read. So I remember looking at our traffic on our little student website for the Daily Collegian and it's like blowing through traffic because, I mean, UMass is not known as a, as a big sports school and it's just kind of an under the radar school in that regard at that time it was. So to see the headlines and, you know, everybody at Bucci Gross shared my story, I'll never oh, yeah. Like in the middle of class, standing up and being like, oh, my God. <laughs> and like a major ESPN personality in hockey just posted my story. The fact that I was so wrapped up in that and it gave me so many opportunities to tell stories and write features and anything that I was proud of. I was shipping right over to the New York Post and saying, hey, don't forget about me. Here's what I'm doing. No big deal. We'll talk soon. Yeah, like yeah. just kind of stay on their radar and let them know that I was thinking about them and wanting them to see what I was doing, so that hopefully by the time that I was ready to graduate, there was a uh, spot for me. I think sometimes when you enter the business, you forget the impact you can have on people who aspire to be in the business. Like we all had those moments when we're a college journalist and some pro does something related to you, like you having your thing. He retweeted it, right? Yeah. And you're like, holy fuck! And then yeah. like. If you did that for some college kid now, that college kid would be thrilled, but we're not as aware of it when you're in it as you right. are when you're outside of it. You know, it's such right. a special moment. No, hundred percent. I 
was geeking out over that. All of the national attention that we got we went on the Hockey News podcast, College Hockey News. We were we were the only people that were with the team from start to finish for the past couple of years who covering Kale McCarr up close and personal. And now he's starting to get national attention. He went from the national championship to the Stanley Cup playoffs with the Avalanche. Like it, it was just oh, just what a whirlwind it was. It was so it was so special to be on that ride with them and the support that we felt from the team and the coaching staff. Um, I remember we made a GoFundMe to be able to afford to go cover the team in Buffalo. And you looked at the GoFundMe and you got players donating, their parents donating, Coach Greg Carville donating. They wanted us there. And I'll never forget when they won to go to the national championship, Greg Carville steps down off, off the platform and shakes all three of our hands. The three student reporters that are sitting front and center didn't say a word to any other reporters, just us, none of the national media. He didn't care. He just cared about the three student reporters that were there from start to finish, there from the beginning. And I could confidently say that something like that will never happen to me ever again in my career to feel the appreciation from a team like that. I'm going to tell you something I guarantee, which is I'm, I'm double your age. I'm 50. <laughs> when I was at Delaware, Delaware made it their first two NCAA tournament appearances ever in the school's history. It was so fucking magical and yeah. so amazing. And you're along for the ride. And even though you're covering them, you still feel. And I've never had a more magical moment in my career than sitting courtside in Dayton, Ohio, Delaware, Cincinnati, first round of the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Delaware up six to two before they got killed by 38. But like <laughs> those, I, I ended up covering World Series and All-Star Games right. and Hall of Fame. I've never had a more magical experience. And I bet you will never have a more magical experience in covering UMass's run. No, 100%. I also feel like, you know, college is the last window where you can kind of get away with, you know, in your head being a little bit of a fan. Right. Um, I, like, I, I have a picture of the three of us, the three beat writers for the team, and Cal McCarr holding the Hobie Baker Award. You know, like, obviously, that's so that would be so inappropriate now if I were to, like, take a picture with Adam Fox holding the Norris Trophy or something like that. But we were kind of able to get away with it then. I'll never forget the photographer looked over at us and was like, you guys want to get in there? And we were just like saying there, we're like, mm, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, I want a picture with Kale McCarr before he becomes who he is now and who he's on his way to becoming. Um, and I will cherish that picture forever because that was the last time that I could get away with being a little bit of a fan. And, and now it's great. Now I can be gung-ho for UMass because I'm no longer in that space. Does that change your relationship with Kale if you're covering hockey? Does that make a, do you feel like that makes a lifelong connection if 12 years from now he's playing for Toronto and is there something that helps from that? 100%. I have gone and, and spoken to him a couple times whenever he comes to New York. I had the excuse this season because obviously Alexander Georgiev was traded to the Avalanche, so I was going to be in there anyway, but I'm going right up to Kale and saying, how are you? Catching up. You know, there are a couple of UMass guys in the Rangers organization now, so talking about those guys and whoever our mutual friends are, getting to have that connection with him is definitely special and it's always going to be cool to, to be recognized by Kale McCarr, even though I don't cover his team, so... Definitely. I just want to say, Kale McCart looks like he's 12 years old. 
yeah, he's he's hasn't changed since since he passed. He's looked the exact same. <laughs> Before we continue with two riders slinging yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Roman. I'm here with my son Emmett, who just got his driver's license. Congrats, buddy! I'm finally free. I remember what it's like driving to the Jefferson Valley Mall to grab a slice of pizza and pick up the honeys. What does that mean? Blasting some slayer on the radio, my hair blowing in the wind. You had hair? It was really great. Honestly, I'm just excited that I can finally drive on my own to the Royal Retro Store. I want to walk through the aisles, look at the throwback jerseys and hats, lather myself in the waterfalls of colors and textures and logos. Uh, I got some bad news. There's no Royal Retro Store. You just have to go to royalretros.com. That's the only way to buy their amazing stuff. Life is such a disappointment. You get hired by the post. Big dream, you're hired by the post. How do you become the Rangers beat writer? Good question. Um, you know, I think it's a similar type of situation in the sense where I had to, you know, pay my dues, had to be the GA, go wherever they wanted me to, you know, pitch all different types of features. And and that's my specialty. I, I absolutely love writing features. So I would just rotate through all the major teams and even the teams that we don't really cover, like the Liberty, just pitching good feature type stories uh, to try and set myself apart. And then whenever I did get a chance to cover hockey, it was Larry Brooks is obviously, you know, the number one guy. And then we had a number two, Brett, um, whenever they had conflicts or, or whatever, I would, I was, I'd kind of pick up the scraps. I'd, you know, pick up the practice that they couldn't go to. I picked up a Nashville game that they both couldn't make it to. So wherever I could, I, I would try to. And then the Islanders started to get pretty good. So I just started to pitch things on the Islanders. You know, I made it pretty clear to them that hockey was kind of where I wanted to be. And, and that's what I wanted to be doing. And I think it all just kind of went from there because I started to build a following in hockey. And people particularly liked my hockey content rather than all, all the other things that I was writing. So I think that it was a perfect storm of you know, me trying to prove myself as, you know, someone that they could rely on and plug in wherever they needed me. But also I was able to capture an audience, I think, with my hockey content. So I think that mattered to them too, as well. You know, if, I, if I'm going to be promoting these stories, you know, I feel like you do kind of have to pick one niche sport or team and whatnot and build your following on that. So hockey has always been my following from UMass. So uh, it was kind of an easy transition for me to continue building my following um, from there in the hockey world. Or was there a moment where they're like, you're the you're on the Rangers now, period? Yeah. So during the pandemic, we lost our number two guy and I basically stepped in for him without any title change or compensation change, almost like a trial run, I think. Um, and I did it for that 2019-20 season. And then last season was my first full season on the beat traveling and then before this season i officially was offered a contract to officially be the the, the rangers beat writer but i was kind of operating under that title with everything but the title and compensation so but we we got that all squared away um in this off season so definitely nailed down now does it come with complications being young and a beat writer and what i mean is actually young and a woman and a beat writer do you feel judged do you feel people are like well you haven't paid your dues or blah 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 do you feel any of that it depends where it's coming from sure there's always going to be fans and and people online that don't think i belong in this space 
whether it's because I'm young or because I'm a woman, woman or both, you know, sometimes people cite both reasons, but it's pretty easy to tune those people out. So just, you know, hiding behind computer screens. But and in terms of my team at the New York Post and the sports department, and then the other writers that I work with on a daily basis around the Rangers, I never feel that way. Yeah, sure. They'll poke fun of my age every once in a while. And sometimes I bring that upon myself with some of the comments that I make and things that I don't know about. But all in all, I've been super, super lucky and super fortunate with the people that I've been surrounded by that I feel nothing but supported and, and that people just want to see me succeed and, and do well. And I've never felt that my age or, or my gender has ever you know influenced the way anybody views me. One thing I read that I actually kind of had made me laugh is um, you said that Larry Brooks has become one of your closest friends and there has to be a sitcom in that somewhere or an NBA oh, because yeah. <laughs> Krushky, New York writer, hockey yeah. hall of famer, I mean, has been covering the game forever yeah. old enough to be your dad slash older than your dad grandfather <laughs> and like he's i mean there are so many examples of especially in new york crusty asshole writers through the years <laughs> who spit people out who resent them their right. their lupica stories galore about the way he treated young writers it would have been easy for larry brooks to be a dick to you and it would have been slightly understandable for him to be like well, right yeah like, like who is this are you yeah what is our relationship like god i have so much to say <laughs> i mean how often do you get to be best friends with the guy that you grew up idolizing in the field that you've always wanted to be in i am so beyond lucky i know for a fact that he played a big role in me getting hired as well met him when i was an intern and honestly we just immediately hit it off maybe it's just the hockey connection but we just get along so well we spend so much time together and i mean i can't imagine what it must be like for some of the other writers to hear us cackling like in the corner together like a bunch of little schoolgirls, like just about everything under the sun from hockey or you know just stories or things about our family so so beyond lucky and i I really enjoy my time with Larry and I try to soak up everything that he tells me. I follow his instructions and his example, like the Bible when it comes to this job, because I mean, let's be real. Larry has owned the New York Rangers beat for years. He's a top dog on the NHL scene um, and just a severely respected member of the media. Like you said, a hockey hall of famer. I mean, that's such a short list of people that have been able to get to that point. So not only is he my mentor, someone that I look up to um, and someone that I can't imagine doing the job without, but he is also my best friend, which yes, 25 and, and 72 is is quite a, a jump, but it really doesn't matter with us for, for whatever reason that it is. It's, it's very special. Larry Brooks is your best friend. One of my best friends. That we, is fantastic. Right? Like, I, even if it's, I mean, we text every day, even if we're, if we're not, you know, seeing each other at the rink or it's an off day, we're still texting about something. Even if it's hockey, something else, a funny story, a picture, whatever it is, 
like my roommates know who Larry is and like my friends know who Larry is. It's, it's my, it's my work best friend, Larry. <laughs> oh, wait, question, serious question. Yeah. You're in New York. You have a party at your apartment. Okay. Yeah. A lot of the old, a lot of the old sorority sisters are coming over yeah. some of your pals from high school. Larry catches, Larry catches wind of it. Is he invited? No, it's so funny that you said that, that say this because I literally I had a my housewarming party when I first moved to the city a few months ago and I said to him directly I said the only person that's missing from this invite list is you. <laughs> like in a world if that was acceptable, 100% I'd be inviting Larry to my housewarming party with a bunch of 20-year-olds. It's just the fact that he probably wouldn't come because it's probably not appropriate. But in a world where it would be, of course he would be invited. No questions asked. Like if I were to have a birthday party or something, I would want Larry there. Seriously, that's genuinely how I feel. And I know he knows that I mean that too. <laughs> I got two more things for you. Number one, I do feel like on this podcast, I have a good number of older journalists. When I say, would you advise you know, younger journalists to go into this, who give this kind of stuff, <sighs> you know, yeah. and I feel like you are an embodiment of the fuck. Yeah. Of it all. <laughs> um, <laughs> what says you, what says you Molly? I think that you definitely want to get the experience first. I think you need to actually live in it. You need to actually do it, do the job before making that kind of decision because it is not for everyone, the grind of it all, especially being a beat reporter. I mean, I don't even know if I could handle being a beat writer for a baseball team with their schedule and, and the way that it, it goes. I think even hockey is difficult, but if you love it, and this goes for any industry, if you love it, you'll never work a day in your life. So I look at it, I've loved, I always loved hockey. I always been a huge sports fan. Like I said, I feel like sports brings people together. And if I could play a part in that, I consider myself to be so lucky to be able to do that. So if you love it and your heart's in it, you will feel like you are not working. Like I I get to go to the game tonight and watch Vladimir Tarasenko suit up for the first game as a New York Ranger. And 30 years from now, like I'm going to be able to say that. I'm going to be able to say that I was there for that. So I just think that's so cool. And I think if you love it, then then fuck yeah, you should go into it. <laughs> and I can tell you, as you 25 years in the future, your kids will say, mom, I don't give a shit. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that is as expected, yes. Right. Um, final question. Now, you're kind of young for this one. I'm going to ask you this. Okay. What is the best confrontation you've had in your career as a sports writer? Confrontation? Have you had any? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably say the biggest one happened last season Gerard Gallant's first season in New York he put Alexi Lafreniere number one overall pick on the fourth line and you know he was drowning in questions about it and after one of the, after a game I tried to ask another question about it and for lack of better terms he totally bit my head off um and it was pretty public because it was live they don't do anymore for him by the way you take that as you will so it was it was bad. And I mean, I kind of learned in that moment and, and going forward that sometimes it's just, you know, better to just stop talking, you know, so I kind of just let the let the moment pass. And then I sat down with him like a week or so later, and we just kind of hashed it out. And, you know, it, it, I feel like if you always communicate that you're trying to come from a respectful place, I mean, here's Gerard Gallant, who's 
a former NHL or an NHL coach for years. I, do I blame him for looking at me and being like, who the hell is this chick trying to talk to me about hockey? And like, what does she know? No, I don't blame him for that. Do I think that, you know, he could be a little bit more respectful about it? Sure. But like, you know, to each their own. Um, but we hashed it out and we're totally good now. And, and it's a good working relationship. But that definitely was probably the first public confrontation and, and first time that I had ever really pissed off a coach. <laughs> what does hash it out look like? Um, I went and I just spoke to him one-on-one -on -one in his office, just kind of apologized for how I came off, you know, and wanted to clear the air and communicate that I obviously know that he's the expert. I'm not. I'm always coming from a place of just trying to understand his thought process and where he's coming from. And, and that's my job to convey that to the fans. So I'm never coming from a malicious place. Uh, but, you know, he, he understood that and we totally put it to bed. So it was good. Wait, wait I want to ask a follow up here. Yeah. Sometimes cough in my marriage. I will <laughs> apologize just to smooth things over, right? Yeah. Smooth things over. Right. Did you really do anything wrong in asking that question? No. Right. No, but, you know, I'm not someone who's prideful, who's who's going to, you know, further complicate a working relationship that I have to have moving forward just for my pride, not to say sorry. I mean, it clearly offended him and it clearly ruffled his feathers. So, of course, I'm going to apologize. Did he apologize to me? No, right. but that's fine. You know, that's fine. He did in his heart. He did deep down. Yeah, sure. But, you know, that's fine. You know, and I feel like he's you know, he's an old school guy, you know, he's not warm and fuzzy. I look at him like next to a guy like David Quinn, David Quinn, you could ask anything, anything in any way. And he would never take it personally, never take it, you know, as a, as a jab at him or anything, but all coaches are different. And I think that's a big part of it as well is learning about the person that you're dealing with, that you're working with and learning how to best get the answers that you want out of them. There's a way with delivery, with word usage, and there's a whole art to it, I feel, asking questions and, and trying to, uh, you know, get the kind of uh, quote that you want out of it. And each person is different. And I think you need to be ready to learn on the fly and feel that out. Man, you're way ahead of the game. I feel like um, a lot of interviewing is jab, 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 yeah. throw the hook, jab, 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 set it up, set it up, move, dance mm -hmm. a little, move five questions ahead of where you're actually going it's definitely an art it's it's everything and your delivery your tone the way you set it up is the difference between a player or a coach getting offended by the question and understanding that you're just trying to understand better from their point of view and you know every player is different too some are better talkers than others so again that's that goes back to work in the room and and kind of establishing relationships and trust um, with the players that you need to so that in the future you're able to have those conversations and, and on the record conversations that are um, you know beneficial for you too i just want to say if any of my listeners are, are wondering david quinn is the coach of the san jose sharks i just learned yeah. that right now. Yeah, uh, molly seriously <laughs> i've loved every minute of this i'm all i'm all in on your career 100 no, i don't, give, I don't yeah. give two shits about hockey but <laughs> i love journalism i love sports journalism i love your passion I love that if I ever show up at a party or your house, I will not be the oldest person there. I think that's nope, cool. Definitely. <laughs> that's yeah, great. <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. I want to thank today's guest, Molly Walker, for joining me on Two Riders Singing Yang. You can follow Molly on Twitter at M-O-L-L-I-E-E. -E. 
W-A-L-K-E-R-R, and read her work in the New York Post. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Riders Singing Yang, please go to the vehicle of your choice and leave a nice review. I'd be really appreciative. Music is by the great MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep riding.